Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is the Danny Parkin Show. Yes, it is. Thanks for hanging out. We're coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan Studio. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way to provide a seamless mortgage experience. My name is Danny Parkins. You can follow along on Twitter at Danny Parkins. Danny Parkins one on Instagram. Mike Meltzer will join me from Houston. Media personality down there follows the Texans. He'll bring on in about 35 minutes or so to tell us what the hell is going on in Houston. There's a lesson to be learned from what's going on in Houston that, frankly, a bunch of people in my profession don't do a good enough job of remembering, and I've been guilty of it as well. I'll tell you about that in just a couple of minutes, but I want to put a bow on that college football conversation about parity or lack thereof and whether or not the sport is better off in its current foundation with the dynasties or if it would be better suited if some parody came back into the sport, because I don't see Bama or especially Clemson in the ACC with no legitimate challenger relinquishing that anytime soon. And unlike professional sports leagues, there's not much you can do to force parody because you can't force blue chip five-star kids from California to go to UCLA if they don't want to think about that. Clemson hadn't got a recruit from the state of California since 1991. They put all these receivers into the NFL. They got a five-star freshman receiver. Next year, might have a quarterback. Top four kids from the state could be leaving next year. It's insane. All to go to SEC schools, or excuse me, Southeastern schools. Clemson, Bama, Georgia. That's where all the talent's going right now. Notre Dame, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Penn State, Texas, Oregon, USC, UCLA, Wisconsin. Someone's got to step up. Create a power in a different geographic region of the country. Because LSU might be fourth in terms of the ability to attract marquee talent. Got to figure out a way to build a program that's sustainably great outside of the southeast part of this country or else you're going to run into problems like last year where national championships in San Francisco and no one can get there. No one out there cares. So it's a weird spot for the sport. We'll get to the NFL lesson in just a minute. Let's go through some calls real quick. Rick in Indiana is on CBS Sports Radio. What's up, Rick? Hey, Danny. I love your show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, hey, you know, I'm in South Bend, Indiana, located, and I was driving an Uber, and I just stopped and pulled over in the circle, and I can see the Notre Dame Golden Dome to my right. But I want you to know that I'm not a cool right? I'm objective about college football. And uh, I know Notre Dame, uh, you know, they've got a lot to prove before they're anything better than a top-10 team they're going to have to break through. So I'm not really calling about them, but I'm really calling to agree with you about the lack of parity. And the media guy you had on a little bit earlier mentioned five or six teams that legitimately 
you know, can go for the college national championship. I look at the last several years, what has trended is there's only usually at the end of the season, one or two dominant teams. You look at Ohio state that one year when they were dominant, you look at Alabama, the one year they were a fourth seed, they ended up being dominant. And now you look at Clemson and, and last year you have to say that the one and only dominant team was Clemson. They buried Alabama. So, um, you know, my, my point is that I would agree with you. Parity is a big problem. I don't think we have five or six fighting for the national championship. There's usually one or two that are dominant, and then one ends up winning it in the end. So I do think it is a big problem for college football. Rick, I appreciate the call. Yeah, I said it to Barton Simmons. Who Barton Simmons is great. He does recruiting. He knows more about college football than me. But I watch every game of these top teams. Every single one. And I just see a huge gap in talent. Think about what it says. And listen, Trevor Lawrence might just be this singular force of nature. And he was pretty bad against Georgia Tech. Think about that, by the way. Clemson was a 37-point favorite against Georgia Tech. Opening in a conference game, albeit at home. They're a 37-point favorite. They win by 38 their starting quarterback, who's going to be the number one pick in next year's draft, but would have been the number one pick in last year's draft as a true freshman, and this year's pick as a true sophomore, completed only 50% of his passes and threw two interceptions. So their stud quarterback was rusty and had an objectively bad game, and they hung 52 on the board against the conference opponent with their quarterback having a bad game. I was just talking to my executive producer, Ryan Hickey, during the break. Clemson has Texas A&M this Saturday. A&M is the 12th ranked team in the country. Clemson right now is a 19 and a half point favorite. So the gap, according to Vegas, between one and 12 is 19 and a half points. That's crazy, man. There's a legitimate chance that Clemson doesn't play a game in single digits all season long because they will be about a 17 ish point favorite at Syracuse the following weekend, depending on how this game against A&M goes this weekend. And then after that, they'll be a 23 or more point favorite in every game the rest of the way till the college football playoff. So there is a legitimate chance that Clemson runs the table, never playing a single digit game. That's how big the gap is between them and everyone else. And they schedule real teams. I mean, A&M is a real out-of-conference game. They played at A&M last year, at College Station, for Jimbo Fisher's first game at A&M. They got a home-and-home starting with Notre Dame next year. But they they schedule real teams. There's just no legitimate competition. Bill in Vegas, you get the last word on this. Go ahead, man. Topic, really, Thanks, really appreciate it. Love this topic. Love the show. Thank you. Um, it's a couple of things I think can make a difference is I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the Big Ten was considered the Big Two and the Little Eight, where it was all, always, and I mean always, Michigan, Ohio State, and nobody else stood a chance. And then right around 1980 or so, the other teams started coming up. Wisconsin beat, and I'm from Wisconsin, so I'm biased towards Wisconsin, and I'm Catholic, so I'm biased towards Notre Dame. Those are my two college teams. And, you know, Wisconsin beat Michigan and Ohio State for the, in the same year for the first time since 62. And I think part of it had to do with the beginning of cable television, the beginning of more exposure on TV. And I think and you see a lot more of these mid-range teams coming up and shocking the upper echelon teams. And I think 
if you have a, an expanded playoff system, I mean a true expanded playoff system, 16, you know, six, 16 teams let in, it, conference champions from the Power Five, conference champions from the next five, and then six at large, eventually over time the exposure knowing that, hey, if I go to Wisconsin, I can win my conference, I can get into the, I can get into the playoff system. Once you're in a playoff system, you, know, you, you, can, you, can, you can shock a team, you can do something. You can, it'll take a while, but I think that stratification that, that has occurred with the way the playoffs have been right now, it is so set towards if you lose one game, you're pretty much out of it unless you've got a strength of schedule or it's, it's in, in these, and these kids, they see they'll, you could peel off bits and pieces of, of recruits. You can get a four-star recruit here, a three-star recruit there every now and again, a five-star recruit that'll go out West. that will go up North where he knows, Hey, listen, I'd rather, I'd rather start as a freshman at Oregon as opposed to sitting on a bench at Alabama. I, you know, it's instead of right now, a lot of kids, they'd rather be third string, on Clemson or Alabama, knowing, hey, if an injury happens, I can play, then going to play for Syracuse where they, they'll start but never get a chance to win, but knowing that if they get a chance in a true playoff system, and then I would – and I absolutely But hold on one, one second, and then I'll let you respond. So you mentioned Wisconsin. Like, if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten now, they can go to the playoff. You know? I, so you say an expanded 16-team playoff. I, so, sure, I guess that that would be easier for the Central Floridas and the Boise States of the world. But they're so far off from competing that I don't even know if that's really the issue at hand here. Like, Wisconsin's already in a place, right, where if they win the Big Ten and go undefeated, they can make the college football playoff. But the thing is, is that they'd have to, they would have to go undefeated and, and win their conference. If you're guaranteed to win your conference, it wouldn't matter if you're undefeated or not. If you win your conference, you are in. It's like in the NFL. You win right. your conference and you're 8-8. Eight and eight. You win your conference, you're 7-9. and nine. It doesn't matter. You're in based on the fact that, you've, that you've, won your, you've won your conference, you've won your division, whatever. You are in. And then once you're in the playoffs, it's a second season. It, and, 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 and I would even – I would restrict the size of conferences to 12 teams, and I'd even restrict the regular season to 12 games so that if they're going to talk about the wear and tear and all that kind of stuff on these young kids. Yeah, so that you could have more of a playoff. You know, listen, it's, it's an interesting component of it, and I appreciate the call. The thing is, is that college football, what they have that no other sport has is that every game of the regular season matters. So they don't want to change that, and there's too much money in the bowl system for it to completely go away. And what you're talking about in the back in the day with exposure from television was absolutely true back in the day, but now every game's on TV. So I don't think that that has as big of a factor anymore. Like you can make an argument that an expanded playoff giving more teams a shot would be good for the sport, but with where how it is right now with the talent gap, man, honestly, do you want to see a college football playoff game where one team's a three touchdown favorite over the other? Cause that's what it would be. We don't have eight teams that are worthy of being on the field with Alabama. Now you want to do 16. Like who's the 16th ranked team in the country right now. I'm just trying to think like, imagine what that would be. If, you got, let me see this. Let me, let me pull this up real quick. Auburn. All right. Well, that would actually be kind of cool. Auburn would be pretty cool. Like if it was Auburn, Alabama, because, you know, Iron Bowl. But Central Florida, they won 62 to zero. Everyone wants to see them get a shot. What do you think the line would be if it was Clemson, Central Florida? 28? What about Alabama, Michigan State? 
24 and a half. Like these teams don't deserve to be on the same field as the other team. It's not close. Could they one day, you know, Kevin O'Shea, Cherry Hill Lane, the line from Little Giants, one time? Could it happen one time? Yeah. But a 16-team playoff I don't think adds parity. I think it just adds blowouts in games that are called playoffs. We'll get to the lesson we all need to keep in mind with the NFL before we get into this situation in Houston coming up on the score on CBS Sports Radio. Now back to the Danny Parkin Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's perfect. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend, everybody. Eight full months. I started this gig full-time regularly in January of this year. I'd been filling in for, I don't know, a year or so before that. This is my first time ever going to break and saying the score, which is my Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. gig instead of CBS Sports Radio. And I can only point two thumbs at myself. I would love to blame Ryan Hickey, my executive producer. Nothing would give me greater pleasure, but it wasn't his fault. The truth is, I make about one mistake a year. And that was it. So if you were listening, congratulations. Tune back in in 2020. It probably won't happen for a while. Just kidding. I make mistakes all the time. It's not a big deal. I mean, I'm going to think about it for the next two days, beat myself up over it, but I'll, I'll get over it eventually. But Mike Meltzer is going to join me in about 20 minutes. And um, the Texans are uh, dysfunctional. When you give a mediocre head coach general manager responsibilities, things get a little haywire. But to me, more interesting than the particulars of the Laramie Tunsil trade or the Jadavion Clowney trade, we'll get into that with an expert in 20 minutes. But it's a great reminder that football is the ultimate team game and arguably the single most important thing that will determine success or failure for an individual player is situation. There are very few players able to overcome bad situations. Let me give you a, a for instance. 2017 NFL draft. Mitch Trubisky is the first quarterback taken. Bears trade up from three to two. Pat Mahomes is the second quarterback taken. Chiefs trade up to 10. Deshaun Watson is the third quarterback taken. Texans trade up to 12. So three teams trading up for three quarterbacks. Mitch Trubisky, presumably the best talent, he goes first. Well, we've seen that Pat Mahomes is clearly the best talent, but Based on the NFL evaluators, Trubisky was the best talent. But he goes to a team that absolutely stinks with no offensive skill position talent around him. They signed Marcus Wheaton and Cam Meredith to be his number one receivers with Tanner Gentry. And Dow Loggins was his offensive coordinator with a lame duck defensive-oriented head coach in John Fox. So Trubisky, in theory, the best talent, goes to by far the worst situation. Mahomes, in theory, the middle-tier talent, 
great offensive coach, great number one receiver in Tyreek Hill, great tight end in Travis Kelsey, former number one pick at left tackle, all pro caliber right tackle in Mitchell Schwartz. Really, really good situation. Deshaun Watson, in theory, the lesser of the talents, but has the most experience, goes to an offensive-minded head coach in Bill O'Brien and has arguably the best receiver in the NFL in DeAndre Hopkins. So Mahomes had the best situation. Watson had the second-best situation. Trubisky had the third-best situation. Mahomes is an MVP two years into the league, his first year as a starter, and he had the best situation. Now fast-forward two years. The Texans have traded every future draft pick. Deshaun Watson has suffered significant injuries. Bill O'Brien is on the hot seat. And the future of the Texans organization in terms of stability is very much in the air. Mitch Trubisky has a new head coach, a new number one wide receiver, a new number two wide receiver, a new number three wide receiver, a new number one tight end, a new number two tight end, and a new number one and number two running back. Seven skill position players have changed around Mitch Trubisky and a head coach and an offensive coordinator have all changed, not to mention a center and a guard. And now all of a sudden Trubisky is in the second best situation of the 2017 quarterbacks. Take Alex Smith, five offensive coordinators in his first seven years. First overall pick in the NFL, tremendously stunted his development. Gets with Andy Reid in Kansas City, has the same coach in the same system for four years. All of a sudden, he's winning playoff games and gets a $75 million contract from Washington. Josh Rosen. What was he, the 10th pick, 12th pick? He's in Arizona. Gets a coaching change. And then a number one pick quarterback usurps him. He leaves Arizona, goes to Miami. They never give him a shot. They end up tanking the entire thing. Give the job to a veteran. So he's had two coaches, two organizations, and two teams not trying to win for Josh Rosen. Whereas if you're a quarterback who gets time to sit, is in a system, has some continuity, you can do tremendous damage. Obviously, there are some positions where it matters more than others. Quarterback, quarterback, it matters most. Maybe pass rush, it matters least, right? Like if you're a defensive tackle, it's snap ball, take on blockers, rush the passer. But if you are we Josh Allen, we were talking about the Jaguars defense earlier. You're the seventh overall pick. You're out of Kentucky. You go to Jacksonville. You rush the passer. You got A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey to help pick off the ball. You got Miles Jack making tackles behind you. You got Calais Campbell and Njoku on the ends around you. You got Marcel Darius anchor in the middle. That's a pretty sweet spot for a pass rusher from Kentucky to come into. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Allen had double-digit sacks this year as a rookie. That's a great spot. How about Bradley Chubb for the Broncos? Oh, you're going you're gonna to rush the pass, passer off the end. You're a top-five pick. Man, I'm going to get a lot of defensive. I'm going to get a lot of attention. I'm going to get a lot of chip blocks. They're going to line up tight ends over me. They're going to have running backs stay inside for to protect. Oh, what's that? Von Miller is opposite me. Never mind. I'm going to get single covered all day long. Situations in football are a huge predictor 
of individual success. Deshaun Watson is seeing his team managed like a 19-year-old freshman stoner who plays Madden on franchise mode instead of going out to you know the underage bars on a Saturday night. No clue what he's doing. Haphazard management. Wild trades. No continuity. Mortgaging the future. I love Deshaun Watson. I hope it works out for him. But this is the exact type of mismanagement that gets a franchise quarterback to all of a sudden start looking side-eyes at his organization. Now, quarterbacks very rarely move in free agency, but it's a new era, man. Kirk Cousins took a three-year deal. Maybe Deshaun Watson's not going to be so interested in staying in Houston for forever if they keep messing this thing up around him. Ask Sam Bradford when he was with the Rams. They drafted him first overall and then never gave him a skill position player for five years. Didn't invest in him at all on the offensive side of the ball. It's not enough to just be a great talent in football. It's the ultimate team game. Situation matters greatly, and it can change like that. So I'm watching this situation in Houston very closely because if you mismanage Deshaun Watson's rookie contract, everybody's getting fired because that's a superstar on a rookie contract. And that's why I picked Pat Mahomes to go back-to-back for MVP because the Chiefs have continuity, unbelievable skill position players, good anchors of the offensive line, and the best offensive coach in the NFL. So Mahomes, absolutely perfect situation to be successful, and he's thriving in it. Mike Meltzer, media star in Houston, covers the Texans. He's all over what the hell's going on in Houston. We'll talk to him coming up next. Now back to the Danny Parkin Show. All right, welcome back into the Danny Parkin Show, CBS Sports Radio, the radio.com app. We'll get back to your calls in just a little bit. But the craziest NFL story of the weekend is in Houston, Texas. So we're joined by sports media star, Houston media personality, my man, Mike Meltzer, to hopefully make sense of all of this. Mike, what's going on, buddy? Danny, it's been a crazy 24 hours. How are you? I am well. I honestly don't even understand what has happened to the Houston (laughs) Texans. Can you make sense of this thing? I guess the best way I can put it, Danny, is I think the best way to make sense of it is that whatever plans they had in the offseason with Brian Gain, their former GM, who they fired, let's see, almost three months ago, they clearly were not happy, and they made all these moves in some level, I think, out of desperation. What should have been done at some level or point or whatever in the last six months they're doing literally eight or nine days before the regular season begins. That's the best way I can describe it. How did they get into this desperate of a situation? That's a, that's a fascinating question also because the clowny thing to me is really bizarre. Like, what they did with him is complete and utter malpractice. Like, this is really not that hard, Danny, because Jadeveon Clowney is a very good player. He's not a great player. So he's not Khalil Mack, who you watch every week. He's not Aaron Donald. He's not as great as those players are. But I can tell you definitively this. He is absolutely as good as Frank, as Frank Clark is and as Demarcus Lawrence is. And those guys both got significant contracts this offseason. And to me, Clowney is just as good as those guys. So for the Texans, Danny, the calculation was really simple. Either you feel Clowney is worth his market rate or you trade him. It's perfectly fine to trade Clowney. But you have to do it earlier in the offseason, and they should have done it before the NFL draft. But at the very, 
right before July 15th, which was the deadline for him to sign a long-term deal. Once that date passed, all of a sudden, his trade value went down. Trading Clowney after July 15th is the single thing about this that really makes no sense whatsoever to me. And so is that Bill O'Brien messing up because he's a coach and not a GM, but for some reason now he has both titles? I think you have to put the blame there. And it feels it feels to me like it got a little bit personal between O'Brien and Clowney in that you just got the sense, like, I mean, I work with a guy in Paul Galan who had really good sources along these lines who kept hearing the last year that O'Brien was just not a huge fan of Clowney behind the scenes. And I think that probably part, that probably led to the reality of them not willing to give Clowney the kind of money that he was actually worth. And then botching the timing of the Clowney deal. Like, it, it almost feels to me, and I saw Mike Florio pro football talk right earlier today that he thinks it's possible the Texans would have rescinded the franchise tag on Clowney. I, I, I think Mike's not crazy on that because it seems like the, the waters were so poisoned that Clowney may have actually missed $1 million game checks every single week because things have gotten so bad. We're talking to Mike Meltzer, Houston media personality. Which of these trades is most egregious in your mind? Clowning, no doubt. Clowning is an utter disaster. I mean, it's a disgrace. Listen, you and I could have pulled this off easier because we know the basics. I laid out the contract stuff. Clowney is worth a certain amount. It's very clear. He's comparable. So either he's worth it or you trade him much earlier in the offseason. Fine. You and I could have done that. You don't do it after July 15th. You don't do it when the well is poisoned. And you don't trade him or a third-round pick and a bunch of random guys in Barkevius Mingo and this Jacob Martin guy. Like, the, the clowny deal to me is utterly and totally indefensible. So obviously they're worse in the future because they don't have the draft picks, but are they better in 2019, Mike? I think they probably are. I mean, they're better in the sense of, like, if I just took my savings and, like, bought a house tomorrow, we, we, we could have a conversation on Friday of, like, hey, is Mike Meltzer in a better house or living in a better bedroom with a better bathroom than he was the previous weekend? Like, yeah. He is, but it's not a financial decision, right? But, yes, I think ultimately, because of two reasons. One, Laramie Tunsil is a big deal for them. They had a gaping hole left tackle. They could not fix that gaping hole the entire offseason. That's a big deal. Everybody knows Deshaun Watson was playing behind a horrific offensive line, not just last season, but the year before as well. And Tunsil, as you mentioned, is a very good young left tackle, which is a – I think it's a tremendously rare commodity in the NFL. And the other thing is this. As disgraceful as the Clowney trade was, the Texans do have a quasi-replacement in that what they can do now, like this is actually like the, the Bill Simmons-Ewing theory, which I think you would appreciate. They have Whitney Merciless, and they have J.J. Watt. Everybody knows about J.J. Watt and what he, what he can do and what he will do. But Whitney Merciless is a guy who has had a double-digit sack season. He's a good player. He's played out of position the last couple of years because of what Romeo Cornell has had to do with Clowney, with moving those guys around. Now that Clowney's no longer there, even though they're losing the talent, I think in terms of style and just playing a certain system, them having Watt and Merciless rushing off the edge, I think they can actually survive that way, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it does. I mean, I've called Whitney Merciless the most underrated player in the NFL, but it, it reeks of what the Raiders did. Like, the Raiders traded Khalil Mack, and then we're like, yep. uh, we're screwed. We don't have a pass rush. Let's overdraft Cleveland Farrell. Cleveland Farrell, nice player. Probably not worth the fourth pick in the draft. It's like, yeah, okay, you've got a replacement for Clowney, but if he's not as good, why did you create the hole to begin with? I mean, that's the amazing part. It, it, again, I, I just I can't figure out. And, and here's another thing. And I, and I tweeted this yesterday. The Texans, they'll, they'll have less cap space moving forward. But right now, like at this very second, they have gobs of cap space. They, I think they have the second or third most in the NFL. So here's a very easy thing. If you actually had a plan, like if you and I, Danny, were running the Texans and we didn't like Clowney, we would sit there in February and say, all right, Here's a realistic possibility. Clowney may not be on our football team next season. What do we do? Well, we like Whitney Merciless. We like J.J. Watt, obviously. Why not use some of this cap space to bring in an interior pass rusher, which they don't have whatsoever. Gerald McCoy signed for, I think, one year, $8 million with Carolina. Malik Jackson signed for three years, $30 million with the Philadelphia Eagles. If this organization, the Texans, had any foresight whatsoever, if they recognized their own evaluation of Clowney and realized Clowney wouldn't be there in 2019, or at the very least, very least that it was a distinct possibility, then they would have signed one of those guys. And then what I just mentioned to you, having Watt and Merciless, then it would be even better by using some of that cash space that you saved in the Clowney deal. I just, I, everything I just laid out there to you, I think is a very easy, simple solution. It makes plenty of sense. And I don't even know if they genuinely considered this at NRG Stadium, which is the baffling thing to me. God, it makes less and less sense, even though you're talking about it and trying to explain it. It's insane. We're talking to Mike Meltzer down in Houston. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Meltzer. So can you give me the backstory on the Texans offensive line? Because I thought that they got rid of Dwayne Brown because he was outspoken about Kaepernick and against the owner. And then they just traded for Kenny Stills, who was outspoken in support of Kaepernick. What, what the hell's going on here? The Kenny Stills thing will be interesting, but the, the Dwayne thing, and I'll give the coaching staff, and I think even the front office, Rick Smith at the time, a pass on that. I think that was an issue between Dwayne Brown and Bob McNair. Their politics didn't align. Uh, McNair was not a fan of Dwayne Brown raising his fist when all that Kaepernick stuff was going on a few years ago. And it was also a combination of that and Dwayne Brown recognizing his value, that he was a relatively top-notch left tackle. They weren't willing to give him the money. And so I think they made a trade, which was forced by circumstance. I don't think O'Brien would have traded Dwayne Brown two years ago I don't think that I don't think O'Brien had any interest in doing that. I just think that's the situation that the poor relationship between Dwayne Brown and the owner put the, put them in. And oh, by the way, like so that's a disaster. Like you don't give up left tackles, good ones in the NFL. We all know that. And the other thing is they have a very questionable offensive line coach. The Texans have invested in their offensive line a decent amount the last couple of years, but a lot of people in Houston, including myself. We're not sure if O'Brien's offensive line coach, Mike Devlin, is any good at his job. Now, the Texans at this point, after the Laramie Tunsil deal, I mean, they've invested more into the offensive line than almost any team in the NFL. So now the offensive line better be good. 
Yeah, but it's so weird because they created the hole originally with Dwayne Brown over a non-football reason, and then they have yep. this rotation of, of offensive linemen. They they basically get Deshaun Watson killed, where the guy can't even go on planes for, for road games last year. He's got like a collapsed lung or whatever the hell he had. And now, they didn't they have a, a left tackle that was drafted by Philly one spot in front of them? They could have just moved up and selected a yep. rookie in, in the first round. And now they make the Khalil Mack trade for him. It's like like, you went from no investment in the line, but having pretty solid players to paying a premium for average commodities. It's just mismanagement again. I agree. It's fascinating. I'll give you some of the backstory on that. So the problem when you trade Dwayne Brown is all of a sudden it's very hard to sign free agent offensive linemen to draft young offensive linemen. I mean, last year that wasn't really an option. Like, Like when you look at that, I think the feeling in the organization the last year and a half is that last year there was one left tackle worth paying, Nate Solder, who they tried to get from the who ended up signing with the Giants, who wasn't actually that good with the Giants, and then this year Trent Brown. So I, I think to the Texans, I don't know if I should say credit, but listen, Danny, they knew they had a garbage offensive line the last two years. I don't think that they were operating with blinders on with that. If you look at the way O'Brien called plays last season, I mean, he was helping out with running backs and keeping a lot of guys at the line of scrimmage. He knew his offensive line was bad. But ultimately, they felt like Nate Solder was worth it. Maybe Trent Brown, who's signed with Raiders, was. The Dillard, uh, Titus Howard thing, I can't figure out. And I'll tell you why. Like, Albert Breer of the MMQB, who I think is as close to Bill O'Brien as anybody in the national media, he's written a number of times that Titus Howard was the guy the Texans wanted to draft, that they did not want Andre Dillard. Uh, John McClain of the Houston Chronicle, who I know is on here on CBS Sports Radio all the time, a good friend of mine, he was on my radio show in Houston a few months ago, and John said that the Texans were offered the ability to trade for Andre Dillard, and they said no, and Titus Howard was the guy they wanted. So I don't know if they were too optimistic about Matt Khalil, who they just cut today. Uh, I don't know if they were too optimistic about Titus Howard being able to go from the FCS level to playing left tackle as a rookie in the NFL. It is very strange the way that they – and oh, by the way, another thing about this Laramie Tunsil deal, as I'm talking to you right now, that I'm, that, I, that I'm realizing is, all right, this deal, they invested a ton into Laramie Tunsil. Wouldn't this have been way better to, be, to have been done, let's say, in March, when you have, instead of a week to get Laramie Tunsil ready, you've got the entire offseason? That's the thing I can't figure out. Like, it all comes back to the same thing, whether it's Duke Johnson – but Clowney, and especially Laramie Tunsil, like what was the plan the entire offseason? It seems like this organization is totally and utterly flying by the seat of their pants. Last two things with Houston media star Mike Meltzer. What's your prediction for them in the AFC South this year? I think they are going to have, I think they're, I think the Tunsil thing is going to help them a lot because if you look at the numbers, like Deshaun Watson, when he's protected well, is just incredible. His efficiency, his numbers, touchdown, interception ratio, all that. Here's the problem. Danny, you go up and down Bill O'Brien's resume, there's like like the biggest win he's ever had. If you, if you ask me, like, what's Bill's biggest win? I'd say it was beating the 8-0 Bengals back in 2015 on Monday night. He has very few big wins. They have a tough schedule. Like, they play the AFC West. They play a lot of top quarterbacks. And I think ultimately what their weaknesses are, uh, a little bit up front in the secondary and on the coaching staff. I think it's probably eight and eight, nine and seven. I could see them winning, winning the AFC South, but I can't see until proven otherwise this team going deep in the playoffs. I hope they do 
but the coach has a lot to prove on that front. Do you think Bill O'Brien's their coach in two years? I'm going to man, this is tough. I, the weird thing, I, I think there's a, I think nationally people are going to say no. If I had to bet my life, I would say no, just because if you have bad seasons with what they have done this offseason, it's going to create a complete firestorm locally and nationally. But I don't think it's, in, I think it's totally in play that he is, because even though they have done this in sort of a Madden sort of way, flying by the seat of their pants, the fact is they do have some top-end talent. They still have a really good young quarterback. They've got a really top-end tackle now, a young guy in Laramie Tunsil, and they've got Watt, and they've got DeAndre Hopkins. And so with that, with the power that O'Brien has amassed, it might be enough to keep them competitive and, to, and for O'Brien to say, hey, I was here when you guys got Watt, and I was the guy who pulled the trigger on getting Laramie Tunsil, and he might still be around. Again, gun to my head, I'd say no. But I think the chances of him staying, which would be, I think, like eight years at that point, are not insignificant whatsoever. At Mike Meltzer on Twitter, Houston media star. you got to follow him. He's doing big things. Mike's, thank you very much for the time, buddy. Thank you, Danny. No, man, I really appreciate it. That's Mike Meltzer down in Houston. I'll tell you, if Bill O'Brien's fired in two years, who, buddy, is that going to go down in flames? I Listen, I think they're in a really weird spot. It's like Bill O'Brien pushed all the chips into the middle of the table to win this year when you've got the franchise quarterback and you could be set up to win for the next 10. Now, Laramie Tunsil is young, so teaming up an all-world left tackle with hopefully an all-world quarterback is logical enough, but... It just seems like such an all-in move for right now when you could be good for a long time. Giving up multiple firsts and multiple seconds when you've got that young of a quarterback is just questionable. It's going to be really interesting, though. Coming up next, I want to have a conversation off the world of sports, but very much in the world of pop culture and how we consume controversial content in 2019. You could apply it to any portion of your life. It's the Danny Parkins Show, CBS Sports Radio. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 